Well, this is it. This is uh, the finale of our series that we've been in. This is week number three uh, of our series, Talking Points, and we're just looking at really the the perfect blend of politics uh, and religion, at least we think so. Uh, And so thank you for joining us, our online campus, and uh, we we just uh, are so thankful that we have this technology that can continue to connect all of us, although many of us are, you know, have to work and uh, can't make it or away for the weekend, something like that. And uh, so we're just so thankful for our online campus and the technology there. Uh, I'm going to dive right in because got a lot of ground to cover in this last week uh, leading up to Election Day. And uh, today, really, I want to talk about about the fact that kingdom first, God's kingdom first. We've talked about this a little bit, but really want to do kind of a deep dive into it today. And here's the big idea uh, of this message, and that is the unity and diversity of the early church shocked and intrigued the ancient world, and ours at Valley Christian Church should too. Our unity and our diversity at the same time should shock our community and intrigue them so that they want to know more about Jesus Christ because that's not the way that the world functions at all. And when it comes to the political scene, you know, we hear that uh, Democrats are corrupt. Uh, We hear that Republicans are heartless. And and clearly something's wrong with these people if you ask the other people. Um, You know, Democrats are socialists. Republicans are racist. Uh, But the reality is a mature, emotionally intelligent Curious and empathetic adult uh, wouldn't fall for that kind of rhetoric and that kind of division uh, because that's what political rhetoric feeds and, and the purpose is just to divide, divide, divide. And as we looked at in week number one, Jesus wants his people to be united. That was his prayer in John 17, and that message is on our website. If you missed that, I really encourage you to, to listen to that. Uh, you know, maybe you even want to go back and, and check it out, uh, and previous week, uh, last week as well, because all these things build on one another, and really there's an awful lot of overlap. Last week we talked about uh, the law of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? The law of Christ, Paul is referring back to, is when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you in the same way uh, all men will know that you're my disciples if, two-letter word, really huge implications, only if you love one another. That was Jesus' words in John, 7, in John chapter 13. And so when we choose to carry someone's burdens, what really happens is what divides us begins to diminish and really what unites us begins to surface. It helps us to really listen, to learn, and to lean into someone who has a different opinion than ours but is a brother or sister in Christ. And uh, we fear less and we begin to understand a whole lot more. And this is how the church, the Christian church of Jesus Christ began, and and this is how it changed the world, and and this is really the only hope for our world today is for you and I to kinda, can I put it this way, get our stuff together when it comes to putting the kingdom of God above all political uh, opinions. Because the kingdom of God is not a political opinion, the kingdom of God is eternal. 
That's why Jesus came, and it's unchangeable. It's unshakable, and that's why we dare not ever put political opinions above Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. The kingdom has to come first, and this was a tension for Jesus' followers, uh, and we have to wrestle with this tension as well, and that is answering this question, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? And that's what we talked about, remember, in week one. We're not supposed to view you know, the Bible through a political lens. We're supposed to view politics through the lens of God's unchangeable, immutable, perfect, real truth of his word. But so many times we do it the opposite way, uh, and that's not the way that it's supposed to. And that's why we twist God's word into, you know, supporting our political opinion rather than letting it inform us of what our political opinions are supposed to be. Are we going to be a Christ follower first or are we going to be a Republican or Democrat first? That's the big question. Because those political parties divide us as the children of God. And Jesus said, Father, let them be one just like you and I are one, Father. That's what he prayed in John 17. And uh, what I hope to convince you of today is this. We do the world a disservice when we wrap our political ideologies with the teachings of Jesus. In other words, when, when we have a political opinion and we just baptize it and we say it's holy, because both political parties have the ability to do that, and both really do it. It's amazing. You hear Democrats quoting Scripture. You hear Republicans quoting Scripture. You know, referencing Jesus in the uh, hearings for Supreme Court justice, all this, both sides of the aisle referencing Scripture. And I think we do our, the world a disservice when we wrap our political ideologies in the teachings of Jesus rather than letting the kingdom of God be first and foremost in our lives. Because Jesus was never supposed to be a footnote to a political platform. He didn't come to support or refine an existing political or world order. He came to replace what was in place. And in fact, let me put it this way. Jesus is the king who came to reverse the order of things. That's what the early church understood. That's what the early church clung to. And that's why the early church changed the world. And they were never allowed to vote. No one cast a vote. But they changed the world by the way they conducted themselves, by the way that they behaved. Because they understood, as we talked about in weeks past, they could disagree politically but Jesus had commanded them to love unconditionally. Not only those who agreed with them, but also even to love their enemies. And it's because of the way that they actually lived the life of Christ that the world changed. And you know what? That's what our world needs today from you. That's what that, our world needs today from me as follower of Jesus Christ. Not so much about the lever we pull in the voting booth, but the life that we live, does it truly reflect the life and the love of Jesus Christ? And so the kingdom of God has to come first. You think about it where it says that Jesus reversed the order of things. Jesus is the king who loved his subjects enough to die for them. Unlike worldly kings who demand that their subjects love them enough to die for the king. Jesus is the king who loved his subjects enough that he died for his subjects. Kings and dictators, they demand that the subjects die for them. 
But Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for his enemies. That's how much he loves you, and that's how much he loves them. That's how much he loves me. And so when we edit Jesus, uh, when we really kind of edit him into some sort of political party platform, we rob the world of the message that in essence actually changed the world. That the king loves his subjects so much that he laid his life down for his subjects. And so I think it's really, really important first that we cannot be first and foremost party people. And I'm not talking about when you're a freshman in college in the dorms. I'm talking about political parties. We, we cannot first and foremost be party people. And, and you know what's one of the most surprising things to me? I'm, I have a number of friends that are actually professional politicians. And so like they're into it, you know. But they're not nearly as unhinged as just average Joe church people I know when it comes to politics. And, and, and it's like, they're, they're the professionals, but they seem to have, as a Christian, a really great perspective. But I know so many Christians that, that do other things, occupation, and are completely unhinged, and their perspectives are completely skewed. And it's because they're putting a political party first. And we cannot be first and foremost party people. We must be, the second one is this, we must be first and foremost kingdom people who use our influence to influence our party. This is why Jesus came. This is what the early church did. This is what Jesus was talking about. Let me see if this sounds familiar to you. You are the light of the world. Kingdom people use your influence to influence your party. You're the salt of the earth. Kingdom people, not party people. Kingdom people, use your influence to influence your party. This is what Jesus has called to us. None, none of what we've talked about in the last three weeks is about political passivity. But what it is all about is political perspective from the Bible. Because we are to influence our party with kingdom mindset. Because Jesus is supposed to be first. And so, when we're forced to choose between two imperfect candidates and two imperfect platforms, we, we should call out those imperfections. And I, I think it's real important. If you do identify with a political party, I think one of the most important things you can do as a Christian is point out what is wrong with that political party and that platform. If you can't do that, you're just drinking the Kool-Aid and Jesus is not first in your life. You're just listening to all the propaganda, swallowing that hole, and not allowing God's word to inform your political perspective. It's very important that we are able to point out those imperfections, not for our sake, but for the world's sake. And so is this a big deal? Yeah, this is a huge, huge deal. Early Christians lost their lives Watch this now. Because they refused to, uncondition, to give unconditional allegiance to the emperors, even the good ones. Christians refused. Even the good emperors that were pro-church, they refused to carte blanche, rubber stamp all their decisions. And I think that's very, very important that we remember that. And that's how they changed the world. 
Not by being like the world, not by marching in lockstep with the world, but by being kingdom people first. Jesus first. Just like he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When they did this, when they refused to unconditionally give allegiance to the emperors, even the good ones in the Roman Empire, they moved the moral and the ethical needle of the empire and they changed the Roman Empire. And that's what we need. That's what this world needs. That's what our nation needs today. For us to be not party people, but kingdom people. And that we can call out the faults and the failures and the shortcomings of our political parties. That, that, that we have eyes wide open and we can call them to account and to change and move the ethical needle. Really what happened here, and I love this kind of phrase in the, in the early church, they were culturally, they had culturally disruptive unity. Culturally disruptive unity. In a world that was organized around power, around wealth, around citizenship, and, and where people purchased their way up the social ladder in the Roman Empire, the church of Jesus was really, really disturbing to that whole power system. It was unsettling, and you know what? It was even dangerous because they were culturally, they had culturally disruptive unity. There were classes of people, and, and there were circles that, that uh, hardly ever overlapped, but they came together voluntarily and regularly to worship a crucified God. Why'd they do it? The message of Jesus was good news for all people, not the political elite, not just those in power, but for everyone. And everyone was invited to participate in Jesus' disruptive kingdom. We can't imagine how countercultural, you know, Paul's words were at the time, living in the Roman Empire to Gentile Christians. Look at what he said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. This is absolutely seismic shift. This is, this is like earthquake, ground-shaking, this statement that Paul makes here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There are no special people in the eyes of God, Paul says. No favorites. There is neither slave nor free. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Slavery, we thought that, you know, there were some people that were born to be uh, dominated over and owned as property. That's what Aristotle said. We looked at it last week. No, there's neither slave nor free. They're all equal in the eyes of God. There's neither male nor female. Male nor female? Man, I, I, I sure am glad that, that most of the women 2,000 years ago were illiterate or they would have caught on to that. We can't dominate them anymore as, as, as men because the Bible says there's neither male nor female. We're all equal in the eyes of God. This was radical 2,000 years ago and it's still radical today. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All are of equal value and dignity. Human life in the womb to the tomb is valuable and dignified and needs to be preserved at all cost because all humanity bears the image of God. 
Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all one in Christ Jesus. This was so disruptive and, and, and it really caught on. And it caught on just like Jesus predicted. Look at what Jesus' words were in Luke chapter 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. This was disruptive to the culture. This was completely counter-culture, counter-intuitive to everything that the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman Empire, which pretty much was, was all that was going on at that time, with, with few exceptions globally in the whole world, this was so disruptive. The teachings of Jesus Christ, the kingdom should be first. His kingdom should be first. And in fact, this is one of the things that uh, religious leaders were always trying to trap Jesus on, as we talked about last week, always trying to divide, uh, always trying to uh, make him choose sides between Rome or between the temple, between, you know, uh, the, the empire, between Caesar or between the temple. And, and in fact, uh, one of the best stories that kind of shows this uh, is actually found in Matthew chapter 22, uh, and, and they tried to trap Jesus and they, they were trying to trap him with the question of, should we pay the tax to Caesar? And they knew if he said, no, you don't have to pay tax to Caesar, then he'd be breaking the Roman law, and, and then he, they could sick the Romans on him. And, and at the same time, it was kind of like they were uh, uh, being extorted from, because as Jewish people, it, they were overburdened with tax. And so they said, tell us, you know, should we pay this tax to Caesar or not? And I love this, uh, Matthew chapter 22, but Jesus knowing their evil intent. See, they're trying to get Jesus to choose sides. Take a side, which party do you relate to? Which party do you identify with? And Jesus knowing that there was evil in their heart to divide. Don't miss that, man right off the pages of scripture. It is evil in heart to divide based on which party or opinion you support. He said, Jesus did, about their desire to try to trap him and divide him by choosing a side, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying tax. And, and I don't know why, whenever I read this story, it's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I, I think of like Jesus like a ninja. And, and it's like, uh, you know, he's like, show me the coin that's used to pay tax. And someone's like, here you go, ting. And Jesus goes, Psh! and he holds it, just catches it in midair, you know. Psh! And he says, whose image is on this coin? They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is, is this and whose inscription? And at that time, governor officials, government officials, they all would kind of mint their own coins and they'd have their own faces on it. And so this had Caesar on it. He goes on and says, Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. And to God, what is God's? Because the coin had Caesar's image on it. 
But Caesar, godless, pagan, corrupt, evil man, had God's image on him. And so it was an image within an image. The coin had Caesar's image, but Caesar, diametrically opposed to the things of God, still in a broken and faulty way, but he still bore the image of God. Even in a fallen and evil state. And so Jesus says, you give to Caesar what Caesar's, your taxes. But you make sure to give to God what belongs to him. And that's you. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and they went away. Because they could not get him to take side. They could not get him to divide. And he taught them, really, I think what many of us need to remember as election day approaches. Three things here that Jesus taught in terms of the kingdom of God and the value of human life and relationship. The first is this, Christians must honor and obey their rulers. He says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. This is taught all throughout the New Testament, the book of Romans, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy. The Bible makes it clear in the book of Philippians that, that Christians, we have dual citizenship on this earth, but also our citizenship is in heaven. And we must respect earthly rulers, even elected leaders, obey the law, pay taxes, and pray for all who are in authority whether we agree with them or not has nothing to do with the fact that we are commanded to honor those in authority over us. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with showing honor to the governor of our state? Are you pleasing Jesus? Or are you acting total opposite of what he said? How are you doing in showing honor and obeying the laws of our nation, showing honor to our current president and obeying the rulers that rule over us. This is not a suggestion. This is salt and light in a dark world and nation. Christians must honor and obey rulers, not because they're perfect, not even because we agree with them, but because Jesus said that's what we're supposed to do. Second thing is this, Christians must honor and obey God. We must honor and obey God. Caesar was not God. And while governments should not force religion, neither should they restrict the freedom of worship. The best citizens honor their country because we worship God, and so we should be the best citizens in the United States. Christians must honor God. Not Caesar first, God first. And because we honor God first, we should be the model citizens in this nation. How are you doing with that? That's what Jesus was talking about. And here's the, the big overarching statement that Jesus makes. Man bears God's image and owes God his all. Every human life bears the image of God in the womb to the tomb. And so we owe him our life. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, whose image is on this coin? 
They said Caesar's, and he could have almost said yes and no. Because yes, it is Caesar's image, but Caesar bears the image of God. That's what he said. And so you give to Caesar what's Caesar's, you pay your taxes. But you give to God what is God's, you give your life. You give your life, and you protect the life of those who can't protect themselves. Because all human life has dignity and value. And it was that hallmark of the early church that changed the world. And as our world and our nation, we increasingly see how life means so much less, less and less. We devalue just people that have a different political opinion than ours. You can see how far we fall short of being the people of God that we're supposed to be. The problem in this nation is not the politicians or the laws. The problem in this nation is the people of God. Because we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We should be allowing God's word to inform our political opinions, but instead, too many times, we allow our political opinions to filter God's word. Christians must honor and obey the rulers. Christians must honor and obey God. And man bears God's image and owes God his all. Caesar's image was on the coin, but God's image was on Caesar. Sin marred that image in the Garden of Eden. But through Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear when we receive him as our Savior, we begin to be conformed back into that image of God. Ephesians 4.23, Colossians 3.10 tell us that. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom first, there were three different kind of reactions when he talked about the kingdom. The first reaction really was people were appalled. It was appalling. What are you talking about? This is madness. You're talking about like an upside down kingdom. Everyone's equal? Is that even possible? How is that, how is that possible? All humans have dignity no matter the haves, the have-nots. All of them dignified and, and have value in the eyes of God, all human life. But for many, the upside down kingdom introduced by Jesus was not appalling. It was actually appealing. It was appealing. Christians in the middle of epidemic and pandemic, in the middle of plagues, in the first few centuries of the Christian church, refused to abandon those who were sick that weren't even their brothers and sisters in Christ. They took in abandoned children. They extended dignity to women, to slaves, to children. And it began to transform the empire because of the unconditional love that they had. Jordan Peterson put it this way. I love this. Christianity achieved a well-nigh impossible, the well-nigh impossible. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, elevated humanity, placing slave and master and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and before the law. Equality is not a man-made idea. It comes from Jesus. Jesus. 
the whole idea that all men are created equal, it comes from Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the kingdom of God. It is not of this world. It's the kingdom of God that has come as we put him first. Not our political opinion. Jordan Peterson went on to to say it this way in his book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. The implicit transcendent worth of each and every soul established itself against impossible odds. Every soul in the womb to the tomb, every soul bears the image of God and his life and must be protected and elevated and valued. Every soul. And that's what changed the world. It's God's idea. It's Jesus and his kingdom. The kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, struck ancients as appalling and appealing, but eventually it became applauded. It became applauded. And by that, they didn't sit back and just, oh, that's a great idea. They applauded and they became part of the Jesus movement. Raising the value of human life because human life is made in the image of God and even in sinful, in sinful state still holds that image of God in some way, shape, or form. Elevating women, children, Slaves, Gentiles, loving unconditionally, loving sacrificially. And they changed the empire. It was appalling. It was appealing. And finally, the kingdom of God was applauded. Against all odds, what originally was called a Nazarene sect worshipped a crucified rabbi with no territory, no military, no authority, no political power or standing, and a message built around what was once considered too pathetically of a weak idea to ever change anything was victorious over an evil and bloodthirsty empire. The whole idea They love their enemies and they love one another. And it transformed the world completely. Not only did it survive and multiply, but it shaped all of Western civilization and we're part of that movement today. We dare not be divided over party or party lines knowing that those parties one day will cease to exist. If those who came before us were divided in the ways that you and I so many times today are divided by politics, but they were yet able to find common ground at the cross, that means you and I have no excuse whatsoever. We have no leg to stand on. Because if they couldn't be unified, we would never be here today, but they were. They were able to disagree politically but they heard the call of Christ 
to really love unconditionally not only their brothers and sisters in Christ, but even love their enemies. They were able to stand firm in a culture of compromise. Let me just put the pieces together for you now of where we've been journeying over the last few months together as Valley Christian Church. It's not been accidental, it's been completely deliberate and intentional. We spent most of the summer looking at the Beatitudes, the constitution of Christianity in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount that really tell us what the blessed life is supposed to look like, who we're supposed to be as his followers. And then back in September, we jumped into the Old Testament and we looked at the Daniel dilemma of how to stand firm, and love well in a culture of compromise. The next step in our journey. And now here we are. Talking points. When reality, all the way back in the summer, every one of those sermons from the Beatitudes should have informed and began to change our political perspectives as Jesus laid out what life looks like for one of his followers who live in the kingdom of God. Daniel should have given us courage that we don't have to compromise in a culture of compromise, but we can love well, we can stand firm, and we can even speak to authority when it's wrong in an honorable and a godly way and make a difference and influence even ungodly systems for the kingdom of God's sake. And now here we are, talking points. They're culturally, 2,000 years ago, the church, their culturally disruptive unity shocked the world. They heard the words of Jesus. They saw his life. They saw his love. And they took the commandment of Jesus Christ to heart and they allowed it to change the way that they actually lived. And it changed the world as a result of it. Their message, their lives ultimately changed the world. And you know what I say? Let's do that again. Let's be the people of God that he wants us to be. And when you vote on election day, I think it's important that every one of us votes with the law of Jesus Christ informing our conscience. Love one another just as I have loved you. In the same way, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, followers of Jesus, vote the law of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, let's do what the early church did. <laughs> let's be able to disagree politically, but let's be committed to loving one another unconditionally. While we pray and while we work for unity, 
Let's love the way Jesus told us how to love. Let's not miss this invitation or this opportunity of a lifetime that's before us as Christians. The invitation is to follow the king who reversed the order of things. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's lean into those that even don't agree with us. And let's love them unconditionally. And together we'll make this world a better place by the power of the Holy Spirit, by being the people that God created us to be. And perhaps we'll leave this world and we'll leave this nation a little less divided and a little more united than it is today. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that we would just hear your word. Lord, not only we would hear your word, but Lord, the actions and the experiences of those who have gone before us would inform our lives. Lord, that we would put value where you place value. On people. On humanity. Not on political opinions. Father, may we be the people that you called us to be. And may generations from now say we have blessed them because we stood firm and we loved well in a culture of compromise that wanted to divide the Christian church. And we refused to be divided because we sought your kingdom first. And Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, we pray the way that Jesus, your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.